Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, beginnings and endings is my starting point. Beginnings and endings. And I may talk about today being the start of season eight of the podcast. We're wrapping up. We're getting ready to wrap up four years of this project and starting or beginning a new season and thinking about the season that ended, the year that ended. It would make sense to take this episode and talk about the podcast. And that's not what I'm here to talk about when I say beginnings and endings, although I do give myself permission to talk about season eight if I want to. But there's a lot in my life that is beginning and a lot that's ending. And I'm here to uh, uh, try to organize my thinking around that and to process what does it mean to be at the the um, intersections of both, of ending and beginning at the same time. That feels really important. And so that's what I'm here to talk about. I wish I had something more provocative to say. Um, There's been a lot. There definitely has been a lot. But the framing of all of that sounds kind of basic, doesn't it? Beginnings and endings. But that's that's what, what we have here, okay? If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. I use other theories, you guys, but I primarily drive this reflection through personality theory and the two theories I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram pushing those two systems together I identify as an INTJ8 I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma I'm a trained and practicing social scientist and educator of about 30 years half of that time has been in leadership Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, just to name a few. This project is unedited and is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. It's so interesting, though, I've been really looking forward to... um, connecting with you all I have learned to really appreciate my breaks when I go quiet for January and July needing that time to allow for all of the reflections that I do across the seasons to kind of settle and integrate in a meaningful way because I need it because I'm doing a lot of meaning making in these episodes and so having the time to be quiet and letting all of that settle feels important But as many of you know, if you are following this project, I have a person that is incredibly close to me that is at end of life. She's at end of life. A year ago, um, when I came off of my January break, I think it was like February 3rd. I think it was like February 3rd. And I announced to you all that the day before which if I got my dates right February 2nd my person was diagnosed with cancer 
I've never revealed the type of cancer it is, but I think I may have told you it is one of the most aggressive forms of cancer because of where it's located in the in the body. First of all, it's hard to detect, and then when it does, when it is noticed, it usually is further along because it's hard to detect. And just the darkness and the moisture of of where it resides, it just makes it a rapid and aggressive cancer. My person has always had a, a knowledge of this type of cancer, which is ironic. It was ironic that she gets that type of cancer because it's the kind of cancer that she has always told me is the most aggressive form of cancer. It's really ironic. But a year ago, she was died literally, uh, I mean, it's almost a year exact. She was diagnosed with the cancer, but we thought we had caught it at an early stage. Um... Uh, we thought we caught it and then um, we started chemo and we had to take her off of chemo just so she can have this surgery that she we wanted to get the surgery right away and her body we wanted to get the cancer out of her right away well in order to get the cancer out of her right away she had to stop the chemo for almost a month and in that time in that time that cancer was aggressively growing we and so they went in and they removed a big chunk of that uh, cancer. It was called it was a clean margin, if you will. It means they got all of it. Usually they have a hard time getting all of it, but they did. But this this cancer is microscopic, so you can't get what you don't see. And this morning I was listening to some content about the universe and how much of the universe is observable and how, how much of it is non-observable, and it made me think about my training as a social scientist and as a social scientist I can see the unobservable because of my training and then when I start trying to talk to people about the unobserv un the non-observable or the unobservable there's a lot of pushback because people are governed by what they can see so when I was listening to the content this morning about the universe and about how a chunk of I don't remember the percentage of the universe is unobservable, but it made me think about my dilemma as a social scientist. Well, and it's now that I'm talking to you about the cancer, that's kind of what it has had, what happened when we did that surgery. They got all that was observable. Yeah, there was there, there was cancer uh, cells or molecules, whatever. I don't, you know, I'm not a, I'm a social scientist, not a, a physical scientist, but um, they didn't get they didn't get that which was not observable, and so that began to grow, and then it spread, and they couldn't do any more surges because it's always stage one when the cancer is contained in the area in which it started. Once the cancer spreads to beyond outside of that area, that's when you start. It's called the staging process, stage two, three, four. And uh, so what they were doing at that point was now keeping it at bay. The chemo was then about keeping it at bay, preventing growth, and trying to prolong and extend life. And so we had the surgery in May. She was diagnosed in January. The surgery happened in May, and we at the end of May, and then we found out. So from June until roughly December, we've been doing different chemo treatments to try to just be aggressive and and just slow down the spread of the cancer. And I, you know, people were like, it didn't work. I, I think it did. I just, I think it had we not 
we would be where we are today earlier in the process. But in December, um, I'm sorry, in January, in January, we were told there's nothing else that can be done. And in addition, I don't know, uh, my person had a stroke uh, because of some, the way the cat, the key, the drug, uh, made the, her blood start clotting and the blood clots went to her lungs and her brain. And so that had an impact on her cognition. And so it's just been, you know, it, it, it really has felt kind of defeatist, like one hit after another. And I remember at some point my sister saying, can we get a win? Can we get a win? And so, you know, can we have some kind of victory in this? We're trying to be obedient in this journey. It would give us some energy. We can have a win. It's just, it has really felt like one defeat after another. And so, so now, um, two weeks ago, so she was in the hospital and just been about, it'll be two weeks on Monday tomorrow because I'm recording this on a Sunday it'll be two weeks where uh, she's been in what's called hospice home hospice care she didn't want to go to a hospital or to do a she didn't want to be in a hospice for a facility she wanted to be at home and uh, they were able to bring a certain bed and give us all the medications and and so we've been taking care of her and at this end of life stage. And so for the most part, we've just been managing pain and making sure we are managing, um, giving her blood thinner so that she doesn't have any more blood clots, uh, you know, that, cause that just exasperates the decline, if you will. She's been receiving visitors and keeping her clean and, um, just, you know, trying to care, just trying to take care of bodily functions. We're just trying to take care of her. And uh, it's always important for me. I always say dying with dignity. Um, um, I believe we should, as a person that does empowerment work, liberatory work, I believe we should live with dignity. I fight for people to live with dignity. And that transfers over into dying and dying with dignity. I fought with my person when my grandmother was going through the dying process. And I thought at, I've thought at times that my person just treated my grandmother in an undignified way. I really did. And I was very aggressive in saying, you know, no. No, you're not going to take her dignity from her. And so I find myself in a very similar position with her now. We're going to make, I'm fighting for her dignity. And so... It's fascinating to see my niece respond to her the way I, excuse me, my niece fight for her the way I fought uh, for my grandmother. But, um, so that's kind of where we are. I had to have a talk with my sister last night because um, my person is at the place now where she doesn't want to swallow. She hasn't been really wanting to swallow for about a week. It's been very painful. And I said, the time is coming really, really fast where she's not going to be able to swallow. So how's she going to take those pain medicine? Because all of the pain medicine is in tablet form. How's, how's she going to do that? And being an NI dom, I was 
forecasting out. It, and I don't think I had to forecast out in the future. I'm like, it's imminent. She's not going to be able to swallow these pills. And what is going to happen if she can't swallow the pain pills? Then we, we don't have a way of managing the pain. So we asked, I asked the doctor, can do, can you get any of these pills in liquid form? And they were like, no. Um, and I don't, it just was so bad yesterday. My per, it's really bad. The pain is to a place where she's now yelling out and screaming. They told us that was going to happen. And I think we've been doing, and, and honestly, the, the, the hospice nurse, which comes once a week, has been really surprised at how well she's doing. And that's because we've been staying on top of the medicine. And so, uh, my person called me the, the medicine police. And I'm like, okay. All right. I, I'll take that. This morning it hit me. It's not that I'm the medicine police. I'm the pain management police. That's what I am. That's my role. And my person's, one of her goddaughters has been like fighting for her to eat. My sister too. And I, because I've been studying the dying process and I know that one of the things that goes is the appetite. And when you don't allow for the natural progression for death, then it causes other, uh, other complications. So it's been really tough for me because on one hand, I want her to die with dignity and I don't want to exasperate the dying process. And then on another hand, I'm like, well, if other people want to fight to make sure she eats, I'm not going to fight them on that. That I won't fight. And so if she, if she does it, she does it. And then my, but here's where the other battle has been coming in. My sister has just been like ruthless about taking care of my person in a physical, making sure she's, you know, she's combing her hair, making sure she's washing her up she's cleaning her nose she's rotating her and and all of that is okay except it's painful it's very very painful so my question is do we need to go through that you know like um yeah we want to keep her clean because she's got people coming in but i don't know if you have to wash her up every day i don't know if you have to wash her up every other day you know if she can have a bath or, <laughs> I don't know, once a week, wiping her down twice a week, I, I think that's enough, in my opinion. But I haven't fought. I haven't fought my sister on that because I know that that's just like I'm fi- I'm the police around the medicine and my person's goddaughter is fighting them, you know, making sure she eats. If my sister wants to make sure that she is clean and her physical person is presentable okay until it's painful and so yesterday my person was just I wasn't there but they said she was screaming and so one of the things I feel like I dropped the ball on the medicine is because I I am struggling with forcing her to take medicine that she cannot swallow and so finally we decided, and to my sister's credit, to dissolve the, the medicine. And I thought somebody told me that you can't dissolve it because how that med, or crush it, because how that medicine is put together, it is, it, it constitutes for the, the, how it has to travel through the digestive system. And when you break it apart, it interferes with the, 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 the digestive process. 
but um, we talked to somebody made a comment uh, there's a a pharmacy technician in the family and there's an, a nurse in the family in, in the family and they were like you can if you can if you can dissolve it and you can push that through in a liquid form then okay so that's what we did last night so I'm back on it <laughs> you know it doesn't taste good to take that medicine like that but and I just said hey you told us you didn't when we asked you how you felt about being at end of life you said her words were I, I I'm okay I just don't want to suffer. And as a person that doesn't like pain, um, I see that as suffering when she's in pain. So I got up this morning because I've been the one who's been tracking the medicine, monitoring it, and all of that. And I feel good about having a job because a lot of the jobs have been, I feel, taken from me. And I've kind of talked about that. I'm not going to go there right now. But anyway, so I got up this morning and, and gave her her medicines and all of that. And the best that I can think of is getting, staying ahead of it, staying ahead of it. And so we do have other medications we haven't given, like there's morphine. And my person doesn't want to take that morphine because it knocks you out. And my person knows what that means. It's when you're taking that morphine, all it is about, it's not about you being alert. It's about minimizing the pain as you die. So my person has been pretty adamant about not wanting to take that morphine. And, uh, but yesterday was our first round of it. We've had, to, we had to give two doses, two rounds of it in the afternoon and at night. And partially it's because we were not on top of the preventative pain management and because my sister wanted to rotate her and stuff. So I'm in my car right now sitting at, looking at body, a large body of water you guys know that this is one of my happy places so I am looking at an endless body of water and it's just soothing and I just had to get out the house and I told I told my sister I said if you move her give her that morphine first just give it to her because that is painful for her anyway I said all of that to say my sister I had to tell her last night I said listen my you had three babies and you did it naturally. You gave birth to three babies naturally. So you have a different relationship with pain. I don't have that relationship with pain. So while you're like, let's push through. You got to clean her up. It doesn't matter. It, it's painful, but it's gotta, you got to do it. That is not everybody's relationship to pain. And I'm telling you right now, I don't want it done to me. And I don't want it done to her. So... My sister was like, okay, you make a good point. <laughs> because you, I can see you going through your first delivery with being natural. And then going, oh shit, I'm never going to do that again. But my sister did it two more times where she gave birth in, in a natural way. And so she just got a different relationship and with pain. And it was painful because I was in the room with her, at least for the first delivery. And so anyway, so we're in the life. And, uh, and it's, I don't even know what to say, honestly, to be honest with you. So two weeks ago, I broke the fast on the, uh, I came on the podcast two weeks ago and I, I made the announcement that the doctors had said there's nothing else that they can do. And the implication is that she's going to die. Yeah, we are going to die, but her death is imminent. It's not a theoretical possibility. It's imminent now. 
And that was hard. And yet, as hard as it was, I still was having a hard time connecting to all of the emotions. See, I have a number of emotions that are competing. They're, they're, I have a vastness of emotions that are in competition with each other. So it's confusing. What do I feel the most? I don't know. I don't even know what I'm feeling half the time. And when I can name what I'm feeling half the time, I don't know how to put it in a what I would call a feeling stat. And um, I just don't know. I don't know. So um, that was the reflection. I broke my fast in January. And, uh, and I'm glad I did it because I needed to capture what I was feeling in real time. And I was trying to process it and capture it and memorialize it. Um, I'm at a different place right now, two weeks later. And um, I finally had a big breakdown of crying um, maybe a weekend ago, last weekend. And I think it was a week ago, it was Sunday. And I looked, now this is before... This is before um, my person began to lose. So she's not at a stage where she's not really alert. I mean, a little bit you can, she can hear and every once in a while she can nod and answer a question. She might be able to fort whisper, but even whispering is very difficult. This is before all of that. And I was standing over her and I saw death. I saw it. I saw it. I cannot explain it. And I had to leave the room. It was shocking for me to just see death. I don't know how to explain it to you all. I could see it. And I went into the other room. And just that was in my... Seeing that death, it was in my head. It was searing. And I just broke down. I fell to the ground and just... And she's in the next room. So I don't want to hear... You know, I don't want her to hear it. I was... I was... It was a pretty bad wailing. It was screaming and and my sister came in and she laid on the floor with me and she hugged me. And I mean, I'm just screaming it out. And so I, I think I needed that. I haven't. I I had a little bit of a, a cry when they told me it was not, there was nothing else that could be done. Where I, they told me in about, it took about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then I walked out of the room and I cried. I had a deep cry then. It wasn't, wasn't as deep as the one I had last week. But but this that cry was more anger. I was angry when I, they said there was nothing else they could do. I was angry with faith. This idea of faith for a whole year. I've been trying to be faithful. And every day at 5 o'clock, we're all, our family, we're doing this collective prayer. And we're believing and hoping it's not an easy thing for me to do that as a rational being as a scientist that's not I realize that faith isn't easy for me and I was trusting the people who are high in faith and I don't know the scripture but there's a scripture in the bible in the Christian holy text that says we don't have to have the same measure of faith. All you need is a mustard seed. And a mustard seed is very, very tiny. And that scripture has given me peace over the years because 
I don't have a lot, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person. I have a religious background. And so I have enough of a background to feel guilty about not having high, like high levels of faith. But I have my own faith. But my faith, my measure of faith, my mustard seed of faith is interwoven with realism. And uh, an appreciation and a respect for the laws of nature. It's hard for me to believe contrary to the laws of nature. And so I often will revert to laws of nature that will give me optimism. So nature has a way of defying itself sometimes. And that is where my, usually how I do faith. Or I do faith by saying, I don't know everything. I don't know any everything, so I trust the universe to work this out. And then I was relying on people who have significantly more faith than I do. And when they said there was nothing else to be done, I was really angry. And I walked to the chapel and I was, I broke down in tears, but that was an angry cry. And the crying that I did last Sunday was more of a cry of anguish. It was anguish. It was, it was grief. It was, it was sorrow. It was pity. And I know that word pity isn't a good word. And so that was a really good release for me. So I've kind of been robotic since then. And I feel guilty about that. And so I get up every morning because we're staying with my person in her house. I'm kind of living in two houses right now. So I have the night shift. So I'm sleeping with her in a room. She's in her... um, I don't know what it's called, her hospice bed that can go up, down, you know, it's got this, it, you can maneuver it and move her around in it. And then there's, next to it is a recliner that they initially couldn't get in there. I was like, they were like, we can't get it in. And so I was like, there's no way that we're going to allow her to sit in this room while we're all in the next room. Because I heard, I mean, at one, initially she wanted to put her bed in the main like one in the dining room so people can she could be in um, in the midst of people and I don't know why she ultimately decided to go back into the bedroom and I think it's because there's going to be time where she needs to have some quiet it's going to get intense and you don't want people observing that so I think that's why she decided to not have that bed in the main like in a larger room for people to sit in it so She's in this room and they couldn't get a, the, the, the recliner or chair in there. I was like, so I slept in the recliner in the next room trying to push it as close to the door as possible. And I was like, did you try to maneuver the chair and, move, you know, you, were you, did you try to move, get the chair in here head first and not base first? And uh, so the next morning I asked my aunt, I said, did you, I asked her that, I said, did you try to move the chair in from the, the, the back or did you do it from the base? And she's like, 
from the base. You know, that's that's how people talk to me. Because when I talk, I'm talking from usually from the un- unobservable space. I'm ta- I'm an NI dom, so I'm talking. Oftentimes, when I'm talking, I'm talking in a in a realm that people can't see. So they talk to me like, no duh. So I'm like, did you do it from the top or the base? The base, I'm like duh. I say, well, just humor me. I said, I don't know if I'm right, but if you flip that chair and 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 try to move it in from the where the head sits in the chair and do that first. And sure enough, it maneuvered in. And so my aunt was like, I feel so stupid right now. This whole time, there was a way to move this chair in here. And I didn't know it. I was like, no, it's just that's, I don't know if that's the N.I. Dom me. I'm not always the most spatial person. Uh, but I think I've moved enough to know <laughs> how to maneuver things. And so anyway. And so I look at her sometimes and... Uh, you know, I have a deep sadness, but I, I haven't really cried. And I, like I said, I feel guilty. So I get up in the morning, I clean up because there's so many people coming and going during the day. I can pick up all of the, the, the Kleenex and the garbage. And I take all of the dishes and bring it in the kitchen, all the water bottles, because we have bottles of water and people take waters, bottled water and they don't finish it. And so I'm emptying the bottle of water and I'm putting all of the plastic containers in a bag because we to recycle it and then, and all the garbage and I'm, and I take out all the garbage every morning and then taking out bags of garbage that's how much company is coming and then I wash all the dishes and I'm like you guys are just not washing dishes during the day but I'm trying not to trip because then I leave I then leave I give her her medicines I clean up all the garbage I wash up all the dishes and then I leave and um, one thing I want to tell you all that I've been doing, be interesting to see what you think about it, but I have been driving for Uber. <laughs> and um, there's, a, there's a lot to why I'm doing that. Um, there's just, it, yeah, it connects to some, you know, the business conversation or lifestyle design conversation. I'd hope to be able to give a little bit to you today but in this particular reflection but for now I just want to tell you I've been Ubering and so I get out and I I go and I start to drive what an unexpected consequence of driving is that it's been giving me life now my 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 sister has been telling me for two years you like Uber you'll like driving I'm like Driving is so spiritual for me when I take my long. You guys know I do a road trip and it's for 12 hours. And I, oh my God, I love it. I just love it. And I didn't want to ruin that by driving locally. And, you know, it's different, different, different kind of driving. So she's been telling me for two years. She said, you'll like it because she does it for extra money. And so I was just like, I don't want to put people, I don't want to put strangers in my car. I don't want to ruin with this spiritual thing for driving. But in terms of have diversifying my strategy for Ground Zero, I did an episode called Ground Zero. And I'm going to come back and talk about that. But in order to diversify my strategy for Ground Zero, driving makes sense. And uh, so in December, she was like, just Set the set it up. Go through the process of getting approved. Get your driving account set up. You don't have to do it. Just get it set up. And maybe one day you'll want to. But if not, you're fine. So I did it in December. 
and I didn't do my first drive until like, you know, the second week of January. And I made all of $20. <laughs> and so, uh, and I was like, is this worth it? But I did it on a day where it was like a snowstorm. It was a snowstorm was pending. And so anyway, I was like, ah, oh, that's not worth it, <laughs> you know. And then um, a week later, I tried it again. And I really, really like it. I really enjoy it. And I don't know if you guys know this, but I love meeting strangers. I think I've told you that. Like, it, strangers don't give me a tax. I know I hear other INTJs say they don't like small talk with strangers. I don't do small talk with strangers. I actually have existential conversations with strangers. Now, there is some... There is some uh, bantering in like small talk realm, the weather, but I quickly move into deeper, meaningful conversations. And so I'm able to na- to navigate and facilitate deep existential question- conversations with strangers in a way that I cannot do with people that I know. And so I love it. I love talking to strangers. So I have people in a car. Now, everybody and that gets in a the car, they don't want to, they don't want to, they don't want to talk. And that's fine because then I go in my head. But I've had some really deep, meaningful NI conversations with these strangers. And that's just been great. I also like being under the sky. I don't like when I'm stuck in a route of driving where I'm like in the city, like where you're just seeing buildings. And I definitely don't like when I'm in the central city, uh, in the the part of the city that has the most... um, economic hardship right so the houses are older and they decaying and there's a lot of garbage around and like I don't like driving in those areas I don't I'm like an uber dings you when you cancel rides or when you yeah anyway that's I don't want this to be a, a commercial for uber I really don't um but I just that is that's been my situation so but man, when I do these other rides that like driving somebody to the airport or taking them out, like I had to take somebody to this town this, where there's this big body of water. And I was like, I get a lot of sky. It's like driving when I drive 12 hours to, you know, when I'm on a, doing my road trip and I'm under the sky. There's something about being under the vastness of the sky that is so awesome and spiritual for me. And I get that as I'm doing this gig work <laughs> for driving. And so I have been doing that. And uh, so getting up in the morning, I do the routine in the house, in my person's house. Then I go drive. And on one hand, it's for extra cash. And one of the things I'm learning about the the money of it I no longer look at what I make per ride. It's not, no. But when you calculate that ride per, when you look at what you're making per hour, that's what you look at. And when you do that per hour, it's not a bad gig. It's wear and tear on the car. I do not like that. But in terms of an hourly rate, it is not a bad gig. And so I just, started doing this a couple weeks ago and I'm always already up to almost a thousand dollars uh and I and I'm only doing a few hours a day 
um, and knowing learning when the peak times are, and then when there are peak times, you get bonus dollars and all of that. And then you obviously there there are tips, and I don't like when people get mad when individuals don't tip. So people don't tip always, but I'm now looking for the patterns of when they tip, right? So then there's there's like a game energy that I'm playing around the tip and all of that. So there's a lot of game or what I would what I heard the husband and wife team at Personality Hacker. They call it, They there was an episode where they talked about play energy that for NI Dobbs or maybe INTJs, you don't want to do things in the physical world. So turn it into a game. And I'm, my, my, my person introduced us to turning things into a game when I was a kid. And uh, she didn't call it game energy or play energy, but that's exactly what it was. So I'd already known to do it, but hearing the husband and wife team at Personality Hacker uh, talking about it, I've expanded that, right? And so now anything I don't want to do, anything I hate doing, I make it a game. <laughs> it's anything. It used to be just cleaning up the house. That's how my person had to train me to treat cleaning up the house as, as, as like this particular game. And, uh, but now anything I don't want to, everything I don't want to do is put into the form of a game and I get it done. So I have, if you guys want to hear more about, game energy in terms of talking about doing very difficult things that need to get done and you don't want to do it so turn it into there's so many different ways i turn um, difficult projects into a game and so let me know if you want me to talk about that i will but um so the driving it's spiritual and it's not it's obviously you know you know a year ago i talked about making really good money making the most money i I've ever made. So it's not six figure energy. Excuse me. It's not six figure money, but it's decent. It's, it's not minimum wage, right? And I have at times taken jobs, second gig work, minimum wage. Um, and so this is more significantly more than minimum wage. So yeah, it's, it's working. And, and the third piece is that is getting me out the house. It's getting me away from the heaviness of this, my person that is dying. And I can't do a damn thing about it. So anyway, I've been talking about, so I'm talking about the, um, so that's one thing that's been happening in January. And so I wanted to give you an update on that this morning. I don't know if I was, if I said this already, but uh, so excuse me if this is re on repeat, but this morning I woke up. So one of the things that I have been feeling a little guilty about is that I'm not sitting in that pain right now. I'm not sitting in the feeling of pain. I cannot cannot fully explain what it feels like. There's pain there. There's sorrow there. But I cannot fully feel it. It's um, I, It's a really weird sensation. It's sadness, it's heaviness, it's, but I don't feel it. Or I don't feel the sharpness of it. And I feel guilty. So the people, and I mean, and I'm functioning like, and I, I have to work. So, and this is what I'm trying to reconcile. I don't know if other people, more than likely other people aren't going to give me credit for this. But it is what it is. But all of the year, for the, for, for the year, (laughs) <laughs> from from 
January and or from February to December. I did all of all of my person's medical appointments. I may have missed two. And so I the first half of the year I had a job where I worked remote. And then there was the summer. And then the second half I created my ground zero from a I'm doing I'm building a biz I'm building a lifestyle, which also means I'm building a business. And um and part of that is creating generating income by maintaining flexibility in my life, by maintaining autonomy, control, and dignity. And so <laughs> this is another reason why I'm taking on some of these gig assignments. They don't pay a lot, but they are offering me flexibility, control, and dignity, which is what I need to do the other work. Let me say this. I feel like I don't want to lose what I was saying about the um, what I woke up with this morning, but I do want to. I, well, let me. I'm just going to derail a little bit. Um, one of the things that has come to me um, in this past month, I believe it, it came to me while I was on a break with you all. But it, if I go back and I listen to an older episode, maybe I said it once, but it it became pronounced this past January that ever since I've been doing this project, like I said before, we're, we're three and a half years in, we're now facing, we're facing the completion of year four in June now. (laughs) And, uh, this whole, ever since I've been doing this project, I've talked about a business. I've either said I'm doing a business or I'm masterminding something. There was a time in one of my episodes I talked about for so long I thought I was masterminding a business. Then there became a a semi-realization or semi-consciousness that I'm masterminding something bigger than a business. I couldn't name it though. I said, I'm I'm masterminding something big. And INTJs will mastermind things. they're, They're not always conscious of what they're masterminding. And I got a, I started gathering that I'm no longer, I started gathering, I'm not just building a business. There's something else that I'm building. And I don't know if it was last summer, I listened to a book on audio and uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was about building a life you want that this isn't, you know, I cannot think of the name of the book, but it was about kind of like going to your next level. And most times people think, according to this author, when people talk about going to the next level, they limit it to work. And she's like, this is more than work. This is about a lifestyle that you want. And I'm like, yes, yes, I'm ready for that. Now, rewinding back to 2015, 2016, I listened to this podcast and uh, for entrepreneurship and she talked about entrepreneurship for her was about building a, a life where she could be a mom, take care of her kids and she could travel. And at that time, I got it. 
But I didn't, because I so much, I love my work so much. Work is such a central part of me that I'm like, I don't need that. Like my, I already have the lifestyle I want. I have work. And as long as my work, as long as I love my work, I'm fine. I'm fine, right? You guys know when I started saying I'm fine like that. There's a, there's a subtext where I'm really not. But, uh, the, the top of the FI is like, no, we're not really fine. But the NIT, the NITE at the top of my stack, they're like, we're fine. Everything makes sense. And then tertiary FI is like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, 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 we're not fine. <laughs> and so, um, so, but yeah. So I'm like, I'm fine with the life that I have. And so, with the two storms that I dealt with last, excuse me, in season six, the first half of, all of a sudden, you guys, I feel like crying right now. I don't know what, what, I don't know what just happened, what I said that's triggering emotions, but I am, I, I just want to let you know, I'm all of a sudden a wave of emotion just came to the forefront as I'm talking about lifestyle. I have no idea why that's making me want to cry. Whew. But anyway, <laughs> oh God, um. So in the first half of 2023, I talked about two storms with work and with this thing with my person and all of the chaos of being of all of the stuff that stirred up for intergenerational trauma. And then in June, I read a book or I listened to this book that talked about the life like lifestyle that don't pursue business for the sake of business. Pursue it because it's giving you the kind of life you want. And then that was a game changer for me. And then, no, not at the same time that I read that book, I got exposed to the podcast, the solo.com, solo podcast. And people who, it's about not being a person that wants to do the, do romance and center romance as romance as the center. Okay. Not wanting to center romance as the pillar of life romance coupledom and all of that and that is oh my god that podcast mm -mm, a game changer now i do as with every community i've every content generator i listen to i'm always going to poke it i'm always going to critique it which is why i give permission for you all to do that with me which is why i try to do that for myself i try to i try to critique when i'm being contradictory or disjointed or you know as much as I can see it I try to make room for it because that's just what I do with other people including myself I had somebody who used to say that I'm an equal opportunity provocateur like I don't just provoke other people I provoke myself you know uh poke anyway so anyway um so because of the the book about building your business so you can build the life you want and then the solo community, which is about, which there was an episode about relationship design, like beginning in a relationship and designing that relationship and not just defaulting to a relationship map that was given to us. Like, this is how you do relationships. This is how you center your relationship in your life. No, you don't have to go by that map. And those two pieces like consuming both of those in June. Like, is that ironic? Is it ironic that I consume both of those in June? And it was, it has been a game changer for me. And so now it is not just about building my business. I'm finally at a place where this isn't about my, 
And honestly, honestly, and I think this is what happened when I started this project. See, when I started this project, I had just entered entered back into employment because I had my own business that I lived off of and I made really decent money. It wasn't the most, but at the time it was the most money I'd ever made. And I had a fair amount of control of my, over my schedule. But I had to grow into that. I had to staff my business so that I had freedom of my body. Um, and then in 2019, 2000, yeah, 2019, 2020, I took myself back into employment because I was, I was doing gig work then. Like after my business closed, I was doing gig work. And when I say gig work, like, um, um, small jobs here, small jobs there, and give me enough money just to meet my bare minimum. Well, I was in a relationship and I was in coupledom. So my bare minimum in coupledom is very different from my bare minimum as a solo person. Right. And so when that relationship ended, that bare minimum in coupledom did not transfer over to the bare minimum as a, as a single person. So I had to put myself back in employment. You guys know, if you follow this project, I've talked about this many times. Right. And it just wasn't working. That the way I was doing gig work then just wasn't working. It, it just, it wasn't good math. It wasn't good math. So I took myself back into employment. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to do employment, I'm going to, because I put myself in pretty much entry level employment. I went back and I went, put myself back in the classroom and I taught. And having, having had, after being the chief decision maker of a school, to put myself in the classroom as a teacher, which is almost at the bottom of the schooling hierarchy was not an easy undertaking so I was like well if I'm going to be in employment I might as well put myself in the hierarchy where I rightfully am I'm supposed to be based on my training my training and my credentials my degrees and my certifications my license just just does not put me at the bottom of that hierarchy I have the credentials to be at the top of the hierarchy so then for four years I started climbing the ladder and you guys heard me until I got to a position last year, which almost put me like it put me at the state level. I didn't I wasn't at the top of the state level, but it put me in a really good spot. It put me close enough to see that the people who were at the top, they weren't my kind of people. They weren't doing the kind of work I was doing. And to watch them, the people who were trying to do the work is closely in a way that was honorable how they got stumped on. So I was like, "Mm -mm, that ain't it. And when I took that job, because there was a, there was a portion of that job that felt kind of entrepreneurial. It was innovative. And so it wasn't, you know, it was grant funded. And that meant it, it was, it was not about, um, It wasn't, it was not a retirement gig. You know, most educators, teachers and principals, 
and social workers and counselors and the schooling system is pretty much a set thing you go in there and you work it until you retire and that this particular gig this excuse me this this job i had last year it was in the schooling system but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a retirement job it was a job that could easily go and it did it and it, it the funding from that for that job was removed but i had said to myself that it had enough entrepreneurial f- timber to it that i said when it when when it folds and i thought i was going to have a few years in that job i really did but when it folds i'm going to go back into entrepreneurship because that's where i belong i just didn't want to do entrepreneurship the way i'd done before because of this lifestyle design that i i wanted even though i couldn't name it I was building, I, 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 my NI was aware of a lifestyle that I wanted to have access to before I could TE become aware of it. My NI, most of, I don't know, let me leave that. I got a theory about NI and TE. I'm not ready to flush out with you all, but let's just say it was not conscious. And, uh. And so from the storm of that job and the storm of the family, I was just like, we're going to go back. We're going to go back. into. We're going to go back. And ground zero is creating a structure. Okay. I mean, I, uh, anyway, look, this is all something I want to share with you. So just bear with me. As it's just a little bit um, uh, windy right now. A lot of this you've heard. I'm trying to give you the next level of my my understanding and the next level of my commitment that has come to me from January so this last month of being quiet all but one I did jump in in the middle of January to give an episode but for the most part I was quiet for January and I've just been trying to give you the the evolution of my thinking or the latest iteration of my thinking I can't do employment and have the life I want. And I, I'm about 90 to 95% locked in on that truth. That truth, that feels like a truth for me at about 90 to 90. Let's say 95%. I cannot do employment and have the life that I want. Now, can I do employment in a different arrangement? Let me say it this way. I okay. I cannot do full-time employment 8 to 5 and have the life that I want. Is there unemployment that will that second shift, third shift maybe? I don't think so, but I want to leave the doors cracked for that. But what I know for a fact is the life that I want I cannot have it doing full-time employment first shift. And here's another reason why. Because the life that I want is based on me being my most authentic self. My most authentic self is that I am a social scientist. I see the patterns in the unobservable world. I see patterns in, an un- in the unobservable world and I need to do something with those patterns that I see. I'm not going to be happy or even mentally well 
if I cannot acknowledge the patterns that I see in the unobservable world. Most of the times, the patterns that I see in the unobservable world, my TE then does something with it and does something and makes it um, and concretizes it, makes it more material. So then people can now observe it. So they don't observe the problem that I can see, but they can observe the solution that I create. So I create the solution and then they better than understand the problem that I only I could see because the problem was situated in the unobservable realm. That's mostly how I function as an INTJ. And about 10 years ago, I then went to the next level of what I can do with the unobservable. You guys, emotions are happening again. I don't know what this is about because I'm not talking about death. I don't know why I'm all of a sudden, like when I was talking about my person, I didn't have this emotion. And now I don't know if this is delayed because of what I was talking about 30 minutes ago or if something about this lifestyle that I'm talking about. I don't know why it's making me want to cry. I don't know yet. But it is happening again. Um, So, 10 years ago, when I was seeing problems in the unobservable world, I began to write it out. I started writing it, framing it, analyzing it, theorizing, and publishing it. And it was to the point where it felt odd. It was such a strong sensation and I let me correct that it wasn't just that I was writing it I started my first pod I started my first podcast podcast number one 2017 but I started blogging in 2015 I started blogging for other for a company that paid me to write but the for them in order for me to write on their website I had to first publish it on my website so it forced me to create my own blog now I've publish for other people who don't want me to publish on my site first I'm supposed to publish on their site first and then I publish on my site second but when I first started blogging I blogged they I got paid really good money to blog on somebody else's website and then it um it um something's hitting me it then I put it on my website. Let me tell you what's hitting me. There's a the blog that the company that I was paid for to blog on their website. What they've done is they've taken my writings down. I had an issue with them where I don't, they I stopped writing for them because what they wanted me to do is write their truth. And as long as I was writing according to their truth, they were fine. But my tr- my truth in the unobservable world, they couldn't see it, and it wasn't and. This is what I think the problem was. They couldn't, they couldn't, um, they wanted to make me think, they wanted to convince me that I was wrong in what I was analyzing. And they couldn't. I think if they could, they would have been happy with my writing. But being trained that I am and being an INTJ as I am and probably an INTJ8, they couldn't. So we just agreed that I wouldn't, I would write and then if they liked what I would write, then they would publish it. But I never produced another thing for them because we didn't, we weren't politically aligned. Okay. There's a guy that I interviewed 
this is what just happened in my head. There's a guy that I interviewed for my podcast, number one, and he and I bumped heads. Why I'm not 100% sure. I got a theory about why we bumped heads. Anyway, so I never published that. I never produced the episode in which I interviewed him for. All right. I never thought about it until recently. So I sometimes will Google myself. This company still has my name attached to their to their website. So when you click on my, you Google my name and it comes up and it goes to that website, you don't get the articles that I wrote. You get somebody else who wrote an article, but it's under my name. Yes, they sign off as the the author, but the web address has my name attached to it. It's really deceptive. So I did the honorable thing that when the guy and I bumped heads, I never produced his, I never published that episode. But just a minute ago, what hit me is, because he ended up taking over this company. He's so because of whatever happened between us, he made the decision to strip my articles but keep my name and drive that traffic. So then when people are looking for me, they go to his web that website and they get a different political truth. Okay. So what just happened to me in this episode as I'm processing with you, my mind went to you go ahead go and release that episode. Release the episode. That he, because it was a good episode, and and do a different book into it. So I would in in podcast number one, I interview people, and then I bookend it with an introduction, and then I do an analysis on a closeout. I'm not going to do the same intro and outro, but I'm going to go and release that episode. Now that I realize that they've taken my articles down and yet kept the traffic, my name, so that it can drive traffic to them. That's to me, that's dishonorable. And so being what some of you might like, well, don't match like for like, but I am. <laughs> but I am, and I can, and I will. So I must. And that's what I'm going to do. So that was like a little bit of, that just happened in my head as as you guys were talking, like, go and release that episode. But anyway. But I started writing with them, and then because they forced me to have a website, I started writing on my I started blogging on my website. Then I I created another website and I started doing different blogs. And then I did a third. So I have a total of four web. Actually, with your NI Dom, I have a total of five websites for blogging. And what I found is that I blog for different reasons. And so it just makes sense to keep those blogs separate, right? Anyway, I said all of that to say that that desire to output has been all about being able to to do something with what I'm observing in the unobservable world. So I'm able to see things in the unobservable world. I can now name it. I have the, the ability of the expertise to frame it, to name it, to analyze it, and to communicate it out. Whether I communicate it out as a, in a podcast or I do it in my writings. In my writings, I write better than I speak. So my writings are it's stronger, but it's okay. I'm outputting. So in either way, whether I NITE and do something structurally in the world by creating systems and structures to solve the problem, or I analyze it, make it visible for other people to solve the problem, my NITE is working in that, is working and doing something from the data that I'm pulling from the unobservable world. That was a rabbit hole. <laughs> so I need to start trying to wrap 
bring closure. Uh, so that was a rabbit hole, but take it for what it's worth. But this is kind of my authentic self. My authentic self is I cannot be healthy in a world where I'm seeing not only what other people can see that's observable, I'm seeing the non-observable. I can't, I can't do that and be healthy. It, it's, it's honestly, it's maddening. It's all, and it's maddening if I don't do anything with it. It's beautiful when I can see something in that unobservable world and do something with it. It's a beautiful thing of what I produce. Whether I'm producing something structurally or theoretically in my writings, I'm producing something with it. And so these jobs aren't, uh, don't allow me to do, to, to tap into the unobservable. For a number of reasons, a number of reasons, they're not paying me to tap into the unobservable. They don't want to pay me for that. So I made. So while I was making good and good money as an employee, I was suffering there because I wasn't able to be my authentic self. So I was being paid good money to be an imposter. Do, and I don't know if you listening to me understand the irony or the, the complications for that. I was making really good money to be at odds with myself. And I can't do that anymore. That's what happened. And it didn't happen all at once. I looked into the book about, does, you know, designing the life you want. And then it got reinforced from this podcast about designing your lifestyle excuse me, uh, a relationship design, which then also, then also is connected to designing your lifestyle. And what I realized is that I needed to have a ground zero because I needed to build the life. See, I'm building the life that I want. So until I build the life that I want, I don't have the money. And one of the things that I did as I was back in employment, getting back on my feet from when I you know, I could no longer make ends meet on the bare minimum as a, as a, when I was in coupledom, my bare minimum as a sentence, as a single person is very different from my bare minimum when I was in coupledom, coupledom in a partnership. So, you know, I went into employment and then I thought, oh, well, I'll get back into my rightful place in the hierarchy. I'm going to get back into being a leader. And that was not enough. It's not enough because now I'm leading outside of my leadership orientation. My leadership orientation is about leading in that unobservable, leading through and with that unobservable data. And I cannot do that anymore. So that now sends me back to gig work. No, it doesn't mean my business won't bring money. And I'm very blessed that I started the business in June. I committed to doing the business in July. So I'd already been talking about building a business, but it was, it was really to start another school. And <sighs> there are problems with that. I was delaying starting another school. and I didn't understand why I was delaying it. 
I kept kicking it down. Well, another year, another year I'll submit the there's a got there's a proposal I've got to submit. So I actually submitted the proposal and it advanced me. I was successful in the proposal and then I needed to do one more step. One more step and I would have gotten my my second school. And I kept dragging my feet with that. Kept dragging my feet, dragging my feet. I had all these excuses. And now I understand why. Why I was coming up with excuses. Because I can get another school and it will not give me the lifestyle I want. And I'm now going after a lifestyle. So my business, I needed to calibrate my business. Before my business was strictly about impact and putting solutions in the world. And it was void of me. It was divorced of what I needed as a human being. And now, because of the storms that I was in last year, there's that emotion again. That I've been living a life that was stripped of what I needed at the personal level. I was so good, you guys. So good at INTJing in the world. And I did not know how to INTJ for myself. And it's been, I've been learning that. It's been slow. Like, even keeping my house clean. And yes, I have to keep my house clean using what I call game energy or play energy. But guess what? It works. So now I know how to keep my house clean. I had to learn how to get on top of my bills. My credit score is actually finally in the good rating. It's not excellent. I don't know. It's, it's, there's one more level above me now. When I got, when I started this podcast, I was at upper 400s. Low 500s. <sighs> and I've been working it. You guys have heard me talking about working on my credit score. And I am, and I've hit the, a year ago, I, I hit the best score I had ever had in my life. But it still didn't have me in a good category. I'm solidly in the good rating. It's going to probably dip a little bit now for a minute, but that's okay. Not, I know the game now. I know how, I know how to play the credit, the credit score game because I've studied it now. So I first had to use play energy to learn how to take care of my house. Then I learned to use play energy to learn how to take care of my credit and even my physical body, right? And I still, with both of my parents dying of cancer, I've now got another level that I got to worry about. But... Um, so I've got to, I got to, there's some things I got to get on top of where that's concerned to do as much as I possibly can to be as preventative as I possibly can with that, you know, as best I can and, and then trying to be okay with what I cannot control, but what I can control do my damnedest with it. And all of that tells me I cannot do all of that. In these traditional in jobs where I'm not well with myself because those jobs don't allow me to have the, the, the lifestyle that I want. And part of the lifestyle I want is having a healthy relationship with my cognitive functions. And I know now when my FI starts spazzing, I know it. I've witnessed it and it's been, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when I'm in a FI spiral and I'm manic. It's like I'm manic. It is horrible. And I can't, when it happens, I can't 
N-I-T-E my way out of it. I, well, I shouldn't say I can't. There are things I can do, but it doesn't happen right away. I really have to labor there. And what I'm learning is that just like that pain management, I talked about my person, you've got to get out ahead of it. You can't wait until the pain comes. I can't wait until the F.I. pain comes. I've got to get out ahead of it. And getting out ahead of it is catering to my N.I.T.E. and stop taking jobs where I cannot cater and prioritize my top two functions. Can't do it. Just can't do it anymore. So that now means I'm now back to gigging it. No, that's not true. Mm-mm. Mm -mm, Let me clean that up. That means now that my business has to be calibrated to account for my wellness. For me to be well and healthy. And not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And I have finally come to terms with what that means for me. So I've had to calibrate the business model. And calibrating that business model has brought into concrete view that is also about building a lifestyle. That my wellness is partially about working in a way that is honorable to my four functions. But it's also honoring the type eight in me. And issues around control and power and autonomy and credit and all of that, all of that's power based says I can't keep doing employment like that. And if I do, if I do, because I'm at 90% with this and I'm not going to lie to you, we're at a season for leadership. This is when all the leadership positions are being posted. And I had told myself when I, when I vowed in July to go back into entrepreneurship, I said, I will still apply for leadership positions when the season opens. And so we're now at that season. Worst case scenario, I get offered a leadership position and I, and I deny it. it. It's going to be a challenge. But if I do take a lead, like there are, I finally did a cover letter for a, a district superintendent position. Why not? <laughs> why, why not? I don't really want to be a superintendent, but I could. And I think if somebody called and offered me a position, it would not be an easy no. But here's what I'm saying. I'm now learning it should be a no because that superintendency position isn't going to allow me to have the relationship to my cognitive functions that I need. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to be transparent. But here's what I do know. Here's what I have committed to. Like, those are upper... The only thing that would tempt me at this point, the only thing that would tempt me at this point to center employment in my life would be a high-level position around with power. That's the only thing. But any lower level position. Now, I did apply for a teaching position that I was going to take because I want to buy a house. And in order to qualify for the loan, the, the bank told me that they would, I could get a loan off of being an entrepreneur, but they need to have three years of data 
of me of what I make as an entrepreneur. And I don't have that yet. Do I want to wait three years to buy a house? I don't know. Not really. So I said, well, if I need to have stable employment, go ahead and get, in a job, go get a job. Go back as a teacher. Put yourself back at the bottom so you don't have to. Because I'm telling you, what I'm learning now is going after those leadership positions. It's, it's hell. It's hell to have a leadership position because now I'm leading. leading. See, when I'm at a lower level position, I'm not as divorced from my NI, believe it or not. I'm divorced a little. I, there's, a, there's a separation, but not as much. I am not as divorced from my NI as I am when I'm doing leadership. So, but I didn't get that job. <laughs> so, and, you know, and the, and the girl wasn't honorable and she wasn't. And so, um, and that's fine. And I, and she, we know each other and, she, and I'm going to send her a text. Like, if you know that I was overqualified for that position and I was on the fence about it, then she could have been honorable and, and, and said that to me, but it's okay. It's all good. Cause sometimes again, what did I say at the beginning? The universe knows better, right? The universe is in control. And maybe I don't, I don't need it. If I, maybe I don't need the house. Maybe I don't need to buy the house because the other thing that buying the house will, anyway, that's a whole separate, we'll talk about buying a house later. So I want to wrap up. So I'm now, I talked about, I did an episode called Ground Zero and Ground Zero is, and this is, this is why I fell in this rabbit hole. This is it. In order to build the business and the lifestyle, I've got to have predictability. So until I get the lifestyle, until I get the business, there's this in there's this in between stage. And what I thought for so many years, I thought I could get a job and as a prelude to the lifestyle. But what I realized is I was not in control of myself. I was not in control of my cognitive functions. So I had no stability. And in order to build the business and the lifestyle, I have to have some kind of stability. So my ground zero is stability. It doesn't offer me a lot of money, but it offers me stability. It offers me control and it offers me dignity. That's what my ground zero offers. I didn't say that as concretely in that episode called ground zero, but I was so excited. But I'm telling you today, that's what ground zero offers me. Dignity, control, and some stability that in all of the entrepreneurial and innovation and the risk taking and trial and error, I still need to have a docking station that is predictable. And I'm building that. That's what I've been building. And in January, I took it up a level. So my ground zero, zero has, will, will, when I'm done, my ground zero will have four gigs. Four predictable gigs that I will have put in some kind of infrastructure. I've already done it for two. And so one, a couple of my teacher friends were like, when I told, and one of, one of my gigs is subbing, being a substitute teacher. And the system that I put in place for that, they're like, wow, I have a beautiful system, y'all. If there was ever a doubt that I was an INTJ, the, the systems that I'm building, oh my God, magnificent. And so uh, I don't, you know, I don't like the wear and tear of Ubering on my car. I don't like the wear and tear of subbing on my body. So these gigs, while they work, they are short term. And so I'm in the process of adding two additional gigs. 
And a part of me is stressed a, a, a little bit. I'm challenged by it because all of this energy that I'm putting into creating this masterful ground zero, I could be putting into the business. But, okay, and here it is. And I'm, I think this is it. I just had a breakthrough just now. It just happened right now. Let me, let me try to put words to it and then I can close. <sighs> so I know I'm talking to strangers, but I really, really, you know, I say this all the time. I really, really, really am processing and figuring out real things for myself in real time. So thank you for being here. Here's what just had occurred to me. I'm building three things. And here's, and there's a stack. There's a hierarchy. First, I'm building my ground zero. That's not true. Okay, yes it is. First, I'm building ground zero. Second, I'm building my lifestyle. And third, I'm building the business. That's not true. Let me start over. First, I'm building ground zero. Second, I'm building the business. Third, I'm building the lifestyle. And the reason why I'm struggling with that lifestyle because it, you could kind of say the lifestyle is first. Because now ground zero is about the lifestyle. The business is in service of the lifestyle. So technically the lifestyle is first because those other two layers are about the lifestyle. But you're not, I'm not going to see the manifestation of the lifestyle that I'm building until the end. All right. So there are three stages here. There's ground zero in service of the lifestyle. There's the business in service of the lifestyle. And there is the lifestyle. And part of the lifestyle is dignity. Dignity with those cognitive functions, control, and autonomy. That's a part of it. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm not going to be able to do it in this episode. There's another piece that I've been wrestling with. It's around the social all of season seven, I was rot, rest, social, 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 because that is something what I realized because I started doing Facebook. I've been talking about maps on Facebook, I've been doing Facebook lives. And what I realized is that I've been doing social with old maps. I've been doing a, trying to build a social life based on maps of what, what the social life should be for somebody else. And more than likely, I've been doing with SJ maps. And I had no idea what a social life based on an NJ map would be. And I'm learning that and building that. And that's part of the thing I have to build. And so everything is in, I have to still learn what is that going to mean. But what I know it has to mean, I cannot do social void of my cognitive functions. I cannot do social void in terms of who I am, how I make money in my business. And even if ground zero, because ground zero is low level, y'all. It's, it's just enough. It's bare minimum. Ground zero is my bare minimum as a single person. So that I can have my large lunges of toilet paper. I'm renting, but right now, and I'm in a duplex that's horrible with this, you know, with my neighbor. That's fine. It's doable, though. And I have a magnificent porch. And I've started learning how to plan and I got this. And it's just, I sleep out there. I have my drinks out there. 
and I love my porch. Right? So I pay a little. I I'm, my my rent is on the pricey side, but I want that porch, <laughs> you know, until I, can, I until I can buy a house. Um, I might might downsize and go into a um a studio if something happens with my person. I might move into um her house for a year just to save to buy the house. I might do that. Um you know what I mean? So that's the only thing that's gonna take me out of my current house. Either I buy a house or I downsize to buy a house. But for now I'm gonna stay in that house and enjoy that porch because it's just it's just it makes me happy. <laughs> and so um and so there's that. But I my ground zero and I said this in one of my episodes in season seven Whereas before I disrupted a lot in terms of building my business. In earlier iterations of my business, I fell apart. I stripped down to everything and gave everything to the business. And I'm not doing that anymore. Because now it's not business. It's lifestyle first. Business is in service to lifestyle. And... My lifestyle is about having an impact in the world. So I'm still doing impact. But what's first is lifestyle. And having a ground zero that meets my basic needs. All while maintaining my dignity, my autonomy, and my and control is what ground zero is about. And... I'm putting a lot of work into creating it's a work of art. It's I mean, it is masterful, this ground zero that I've built. Like, my God, I'm like a super INTJ. Cause I was explaining I, I want to talk about it. I'm gonna talk about it one day. And I want to help other people build their ground zero so that they can then build the next level. Cause you can't sometimes you can't build a house until you have the right foundation. You gotta have the right basement. My ground zero is my basement. It is my docking station. It is masterful so that I can build on top of that. And so that's kind of what January has been, you know, confronting this end of life with my person, really learning about my emotions with that, learning more about me on a social level. And I haven't processed that with you. I will have to do that in a part two or another episode. And it's also been about solidifying ground zero because I'm solidifying my commitment to a lifestyle that I want. I want a lifestyle where I have dignity. And dignity for me is to be in harmony with my four cognitive functions as they are arranged as an INTJ and being in the social part of me. Oh my God, the the, the emotions, this FI is happening again. <sighs> That's what it is. The social part of me that I'm wrestling with is about being in, having dignity with the eight part of me. Because you guys already know, I've already talked about the INTJ me has been sad. I can satisfy, I've learned how to satisfy her. Where I've struggled socially is with the eight part of me. Because of the eight's orientation towards power. 
And being a black woman from a lower socioeconomic background, something I don't talk about often is that I'm non-conventional, I'm non-conforming, right? All of that puts me at odds in the social world. So trying to have social relationships with people, people who have fidelity to the social world in this SJ reality, now I'm having conflict with them because I don't have fidelity to the social world. I don't have fidelity to an SJ world. So I now have to build a social world based on an NJ reality. And because I don't have models, I don't have role models for that. I have no idea what to do. So it's trial and error, trial and error. I'm figuring it out. But I am going to, pers- you know, sometimes I feel like, damn, you. I'll be 53 in a few months. Damn, you're old. You're too old to be trying to figure this out. But I'm going to. My god brother just went back. He's in school working on another degree. At 60 years, well, 58. And like somebody said, I'm going to live. So I might as well live and keep learning and keep growing. What what do I have to lose? And if I, and I, in my doing that, if I can come on this podcast and share, if you're in your 50s and you're in 60s, 70s, hell, if you're in your 20s and you're listening to me and you can get something out of it, win, win. Or as Michael Scott from The Office says, win, win, win. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to name this episode. But I started it off by saying beginnings and endings. And I want to end it here. I'm ending with this understanding that my life, my employment is the center of my life. I'm ending a social reality that's based on a, it's been on a, a social life that's bent on. I'm ending a social life that's bent. Damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm ending a social life that's built on an SJ reality. I'm ending a life where I have a physical relationship with my person as she is about to transition. And I now can see beginnings. And a part of me wants to be excited about those beginnings, but then I'm having guilt about them as well because of what it means for my person. You guys, I don't have time to give you an assignment. But think about what your beginning and your ending is. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.